Welcome to this podcast episode of Narcissists in Divorce, The Narcissist Trap. I'm Dr. Supriya McKenna. I'm a former family doctor, but my life's true work is working with people who have fallen prey to narcissistic relationships of any kind. But I'm particularly busy in the area of divorce. Over the last few years, I've been very proud to become an Amazon best-selling author on the subject of narcissism, and my brand new book, Narcissists in Divorce, From Love Locked to Leaving, is out right now on Amazon. That's the first book in the Narcissists in Divorce series, and the follow-on to that will be out in the spring, and that's called Narcissists in Divorce, From Leaving to Liberty. And please do note that although I use the word divorce, these books are equally applicable to anyone leaving a serious intimate relationship with a narcissist, whether they are married or not. I also have a book out called The Narcissist Trap, The Mind-Bending Pull of the Great Pretenders. And that book might be useful in helping the people around you who are supporting you to understand more about what happened to you and about narcissism generally. I'm also the co-author with British divorce lawyer Karen Walker of Narcissism and Family Law, a practitioner's guide. And between us, Karen and I have trained thousands of family law professionals in narcissistic personality disorder, including judges, lawyers, mediators and social workers. For further narcissism resources from me, please do visit thelifedoctor.org or drsapria.com. And that web address has the doctor fully spelt out. Well, Karen and I are very pleased indeed to be joined by Rachel Oakes and Claire Colbert. Now, Rachel sits as a deputy district judge and she was a family lawyer in a major national firm for 30 years. Claire was also a specialist family lawyer for over 20 years and she's the author of The Witch Guide to Divorce and Splitting Up and The Witch Divorce Guide 2015. And she's the co-chair of the Resolution Parenting After Parting Committee. Now, unusually, both Rachel and Claire also hold diplomas in couples and family therapy. And together, they set up Family Mediation and Mentoring LLP, where they offer all types of mediation, including hybrid mediation and child-inclusive mediation. And their aim, in spite of Rachel being a judge, is to keep people out of court and to reduce conflict and help people to reach agreements in an amicable way. And of course, to keep their legal fees down. So thank you so much for joining us here today, uh, Rachel and Claire. Thank you for having us. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, It's going to be really interesting to explore um, the world of mediation. A lot of what we're talking about from all different angles, from our angle, from supervisors' angles, from law firms' angles, from judges' angles, from clients' angles. It's about education, isn't it? It's about us all sharing this message and our knowledge and our experiences in the hope that, you know, clients out there realise that what they should be doing is trying to find a family lawyer who has some experience of and understands NPD, if that's what they think they are dealing with. It's a bit like us as mediators, you know, the battle for Claire and I in running a mediation business sometimes is trying to get to people before they get to lawyers, because, you know, a recent survey said that 35% of lawyers are giving information about different dispute resolution options, but the remaining percentage just isn't. That's why Claire and I developed a bespoke meeting. Now we call it a family law information meeting so that there is a place that people can come to gather as much information, you know, before they make 
rushed decisions about what to do next. Understanding what the pros and cons of each of the solutions are absolutely uh, means that at least you're entering into it in a fully informed basis, which we wouldn't do any you know medical intervention without understanding what options we've got if there's better options if there's quicker options if the recovery on some are better or not so the family law information meeting is designed to make sure that everybody enters in to whatever process they elect but fully informed when they do it mediation has been around since the mid 90s um and and still isn't um necessarily the go-to choice and still um sadly the public believe that court is 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 the place to go because if you ask anybody in the street most people who've had no experience of the system at all will assume that that's where you go still and so there's an awful lot of educating to do I fear. That's very true and I think that most people also if they've been in a, in a narcissistic relationship and they're still quite angry about that I've had many people come to me and say I'm going to fight this all the way I'm going to take this right through the courts because they mistakenly think that that's where they're going to find justice. We know that that just isn't the case and actually justice is far more likely to be achieved through a, a hybrid mediation process or arbitration I think because of the time that you know the arbitrator has to really get involved with the case etc etc whereas obviously it's a much more rushed process in the sort of state-run court system and lawyers aren't necessarily telling people that that's not the case you know that that you're not going to find justice by going through the court system that it's actually not going to be the best method for you and I think that's really worrying And, and the other thing of course is that in family law dispute resolution is is known as ADR alternative dispute resolution which I find absolutely remarkable Mm. as someone who sort of thinks that language is really really important to call something ADR alternative dispute resolution when it should be known as first line dispute resolution it should be the first place that people go if they can it should be the first thing that they try it shouldn't be the alternative to court and I think that needs to change with court as a backup for when things can't can't be managed but correct me if I'm wrong because I am the only non-lawyer here no, I think that's absolutely right. And I think what makes court even more toxic is that everybody has a different view as to what their own personal justice looks like. Um, and so we come across that all of the time. I think you can deal with that in a conversation much better in a mediation setting uh, than you can in court. And I think that court has to start taking some responsibility for that. It started to, I mean, at least now, People are supposed to have a MIAMS meeting and an application signed off by Mm. a mediator. Uh, What we need, I think, are the courts to be a bit firmer in if people haven't done that in saying, why haven't you done it? And why have you not considered it? Because there may be people sitting in courtrooms that don't even know they're supposed to have done it. That's the trouble. And so we come back to the education piece again. Fortunately, I think the days are gone where people thought mediation was some sort of family counselling service. I think people still think that. I think there's an element of that, but hopefully we've got a little bit beyond that. Now what we've got to do is explain that it's not even just mediation. I mean, I know hybrid is is going to be much um, more suited to people with MPD, but there's about 10 different ways that people can avoid going to court. Court is should always be the point of last resort. Absolutely. Unless something very urgent has happened or there's a situation which, which warrants it. And it's about educating people about what all those different options are. 
I mean, there's another reason for this as well, and that is, of course, that court is an extremely traumatic place to be. And I think people probably don't appreciate that unless they've been through the court system. If you're up in court against a narcissist, the levels of, of how traumatic it is just multiply exponentially. It really, really is incredibly difficult because the court process is actually being used against you as a weapon of abuse. People just don't appreciate that. So far from it being the place where they're going to find justice, it's actually going to be used against you. It's going to be a tool of abuse to be used against you. And it's so traumatic that the healing that you're going to need to do when you've come out of that process is just so much greater than had you not had to go there in the first place. And I think that's also about education, because a lot of people who are in the court system don't realise that they can get out of it, that they feel as though they're on a merry-go-round that's never going to stop. And that the, the process sort of sucks you in and that you have direction orders that you then have to comply with. And the, and the, the time delay can often be so huge that you can see your life spanning out in front of you. And that is something that comes up in mediation information assessment meetings, because I will quite often have a client who's been referred to me for a MIAM certificate. So their lawyers have said, you need to go and see a mediator because we want to issue court proceedings because your spouse is X, Y and Z or what, mm-hmm. you know, won't do this or won't do that or is a narcissist or whatever they've decided. And I will talk to them in the mediation information meeting about The benefits of a court timetable, absolutely, that's understandable. And for some people, they need that. But the ability to always have a dispute resolution option running alongside a court timetable, just a lawyer saying you need a court timetable doesn't mean that that rules all of those other options out. And so even if just in the example you were giving that you're finding yourself in this horrendous litigation that is absolutely soul destroying, It doesn't mean you're Mm. stuck in it. You know, there Mm. are still ways out. There are still arbitration, mediation, hybrid mediation. There are lots of different routes that get us out of that process. Even if we've started that roller coaster off, it doesn't mean we're stuck with it. And often the court timetable is there just to provide that backstop date so that, you know, you know, one day in 18 months time, there will be a hearing if if all else fails. And Mm. that can be quite a useful thing to have in place so that at least you you have a time frame in place. But as you rightly say, Claire, there's so much that one can do, particularly in the intervening Mm. periods between court hearings, which are many months in, in duration. And and completely understandably, you know, we've practiced as lawyers historically in the past. We understand that a lawyer's perspective is, okay. I've got to prepare for that court hearing. That's Mm -hmm. what my job is to do. But actually, whilst a lawyer is preparing for a court hearing, there is nothing to stop a client being in the mediation process and then the court hearing not being needed. You know, it's worth a a bit like we're saying first line. okay, if you need the court timetable, lawyers have said they want that for whatever reason doesn't mean we can't keep thinking about the other options to run alongside or at the same at the same time there are so many occasions where I've had lawyers say we were meant to be at court yesterday we turned up at court and there wasn't a judge no disrespect to the judge on this podcast um there wasn't a judge available or the judge that was available only had 15 minutes and we were listed for 45 and so we've wasted all of that cost of going along to court and actually half the things we need to sort out didn't get sorted out so can we go to mediation to sort those things out and then go back into the timetable well yes you can you can come to mediation for specific issues you can come to mediation for all issues you know it's up to up to you to decide what you're going to use it for but the court system being on its knees does mean it comes into its own you know it really does give people power 
I've had mediations in the past where there is a final hearing three days listed and we are three weeks before that final hearing and people have gone I don't want this and I've fought for this for the last 18 months and I'm now at the door of court and I don't want to do it and I've got to pay the barristers next week and that's going to be another several thousand pounds that's going to go out can we just try and you know, even at that stage, having a meeting a day for three days or having a whole morning or whatever it might be, we can make mediation fit what the circumstances are. And if that saves all of those legal costs in preparing for a final hearing, including the barrister's fees, including experts pitching up to court that you might have to pay for, and you've just managed to save that, that gives you some wiggle room on a financial negotiation because that money's been saved that you were going to have to both spend anyway. And, and on a children hearing, you know, that's giving you some money that pays for the next holiday with them. And what would we prefer, a three-day court hearing or a holiday with our children? I think I know what most people yeah. would want. And I think just to emphasise what we've already mentioned, that if there's anybody listening to this who is embroiled in litigation, uh, yes, you can consider other options. Um, you, don't have to, you don't have to keep going. You can't force people to... Um, come to mediation or some of the other arbitration you can't force people once they're sort of engaged in that litigation route but you can certainly raise the possibility you don't have to just keep going hell for leather for that final hearing at the end of the court process and you can keep raising the possibility over the two years that you're embroiled in litigation you can keep raising it repeatedly and I I sort of always try and emphasize that to to the people that I deal with. With my clients, I can tell you that I've never had a problem convincing one of my clients, my clients being the non-narcissistic party, to go for hybrid mediation Mm. or arbitration. Um, It's never been an issue for them. They've always wanted to do that because they understand that the delays are going to play into the narcissist's hands. The the narcissist doesn't want a resolution. They want to to maintain their former spouse as a, a source of narcissistic supply for as long as they possibly can. So they want the drama. They want the conflict and they want to run up their costs because of course it's another sort of financial abuse strategy and Mm. the whole thing is a kind of legal abuse strategy the non-narcissistic party is very keen to avoid that the kind of higher spectrum more extreme narcissists don't actually want to avoid court because of the drama and the chaos the opportunity to take center stage especially if they're a litigant in person that fantastic opportunity to actually cross-examine their spouse on the witness stand I mean that's just the ultimate in narcissistic supply for a really high spectrum narcissist the way courts are dealing with cross-examination now is changing and so I completely get your point about litigants in person showcasing Actually, courts now are are starting to say to litigants in person, if you want to cross-examine your spouse, I I want to see the questions that you're going to put in advance. I've certainly done that in cases where I'm sitting and, and hearing them. I think there's a lot of education still required around this issue, but I do think the message is getting out. I think the real serious narcissistic situations that we come across, yes, maybe they're using mediation as, a, as an excuse because they know that they've got to either be assessed as whether they're suitable or not for mediation or they want to have seen to have tried everything which they see as the mediation process before they go and showcase themselves um, in, in a court setting. But going to court is an opportunity for them to express themselves in the way that they want to express themselves 
But unless they're a litigant in person, the lawyer's bills will still mount up. And even a narcissist, in my experience, rarely wants to part with large chunks of money to pay lawyers to do a job that they think they can do better themselves. And and combined with that, a bit like the spectrum you're talking about of the the personality and if it's mild or or medium or severe, then the loss of control there of having somebody else decide how often they're going to see their children, you know, maintaining that ability to still feel they have won or had their victory or got what they wanted in the mediation process, be it the hybrid mediation rather than the traditional route is still quite rewarding whereas the thought of a judge deciding they weren't right and they they're not correct is even worse actually a narcissist really wants as you say to be in control and we should probably be using that to convince people to go for hybrid mediation to say to them hybrid mediation would really work for you and it gives you an opportunity to actually construct your own kind of outcome rather than having an outcome imposed on you by a judge you have the control in this situation or you have some control whereas you have no control where it's a judge we should probably be sort of emphasizing that more when trying to Mm. convince narcissists to actually undergo hybrid mediation but I also think well even a narcissist doesn't want to absolutely destroy all of their financial resource and and you know nobody likes getting those significant legal bills but also if they know things are coming up and they're trying to keep some control so if they know they're going to be changing job or they know that they they've got a great aunt who's about to die they might be keen to to get on with it you know because they keep that control again they don't want that brought in they don't want that to be part of what's being discussed and they're not going to have the control of that if they if they go through another six or 12 months of litigation. I think the other thing that would really appeal to a narcissist is the way the hybrid model allows us as mediators to keep confidences. And in terms of explaining that process to a narcissist, um, I think that would really appeal to them, that they get this opportunity to have this private chat with us as we're going along, where they can tell us what they think the proposal should be. Um, and I, I think you have to explain it in, in quite a careful way to a narcissist. But I can see that being a little aspect of the process that that they would quite enjoy the drama of, because that is a little bit of a drama. No, these are my proposals. And this is it. And, you know, you go backwards and forwards and backwards and forwards during a hybrid mediation process. And as Claire said, that can be in a day. For some people, that's too fast. And you might have to do it over two or three different meetings. But I think the combination of that. And they've got their lawyer there with them. So in some some ways, they get to um, play out the drama, don't they, in front of their lawyer as well. I have got one other question about financial disclosure in the hybrid mediation process, because obviously with narcissists, generally speaking, they're not particularly upfront with their financial disclosure. Is the court process better in that regard because of the questionnaire, etc.? Um, are you more able to get accurate financial disclosure if you're going through the court system with a narcissist? Well, a court can order financial disclosure and can say that it's got to be provided by a certain date if somebody isn't um, providing it. There have been situations where you may be engaged in a mediation process, even a hybrid mediation process, where somebody says, I'm not going to provide that information. And if it is definitely required, there have been situations where people have gone to court to get the order to get the disclosure and then they come back to the hybrid mediation process. 
normally if people have got lawyers involved i have tended to find that the lawyers will explain why the financial disclosure is needed and why it's necessary for the hybrid mediation process to continue and so normally there is a conversation and that can happen in a number of ways it could just be with the individual it could be with the lawyers involved in terms of there being a discussion about okay well what disclosure have we got what, what's missing why do we need it and to go through it like that because there can be different different levels of disagreement it could be something that somebody um, doesn't really understand why they need to disclose it or why it's relevant and sometimes if you explain then they'll provide it but you know you can deal with such a spectrum on the financial disclosure front I don't think there's one answer to that that will cover every situation I think there's just lots of different ways of being able to address it. If you're wondering whether your partner really is a narcissist, please do check out my online course, Is My Partner a Narcissist? Knowing for Sure. And if you want to understand narcissistic behaviours, you may be interested in my Demystifying the Narcissist online course. Both are available on drsapria.com. one possible solution if you couldn't get them to disclose or if you couldn't get them to completely disclose because I mean that you might get something but you might not get the fact that they're, they've got a job in you know Dubai earning 10 million pounds yeah. a year <laughs> starting next month yeah. you know you might not get that out of them so there is that opportunity as you said to go to court yeah. to actually get the financial disclosure part of it ordered is that is that right and like like we were saying earlier you can have any of the processes running alongside the court process and if there's an element of disclosure that hasn't been provided that that is going to be fundamental in determining what a solution is fair to somebody then that that may be sought through the court process and then reverting to hybrid mediation or arbitration or whatever option that's been decided but I, I think that goes back to you know court isn't a magic wand and court doesn't suddenly make somebody become very honest or on time or produce the information they need any more than any of the other processes do it's just that there are, there can be sanctions in the court process that there can't be in the dispute resolution options because it's the voluntary process that's been signed up to so you know absolutely the court is there if you need it and can run along either parallel or you know delayed potentially until certain steps have been done um, whilst the court get those items but I, I think there's also a, a point that is quite useful for the mediators to talk about the why and why do you want that document what is it that that contains and sometimes we talk in mediation about documents that might be three or four or five years old that somebody is absolutely adamant they need to see and the other person is saying, no, the formula only says you need to do 12 months. I'm not doing something from five years ago. And it's understanding the why that then helps the other person think, well, if that's why they want it, well, then they can have it. I thought they wanted it so that they could unravel five years of bank statements and go through every penny I've spent. Or, or also understanding, well, is the why something that's going to help us come up with a solution? So, you know, a dispute about some money that was gifted to them perhaps as a couple 10 years ago and they disagree about the amount that was gifted 
is that going to change what they're deciding might happen with a family home and what might happen with pension? Possibly not. So actually, why do we want it? And understanding that point can sometimes solve the problem if, if the disclosure is needed or not. There's so much emotion involved in all of this, and, and that's got to be taken into account. And of course, that can't be taken into account by the court process. I mean, you said the court process wasn't a magic wand, you know. In fact, when it comes to the finances, it's a blunt instrument, isn't it, really? I, well, I quite <laughs> often call it a sledgehammer, so that, that's <laughs> a nice way to think of it. <laughs> so, I, I mean, you know, the fact that it's a sledgehammer um, just goes to show that really, you know, hybrid mediation really does have that option to be much more subtle, much more nuanced, and be a little bit more of a wand, or at least a, an instrument with some kind of fine control shall we say or finer control than a sledgehammer yeah absolutely I think it's quite important to say that uh, it's back to misconceptions about what the court can do yes the court has certain powers um, but first of all I think that um, those who don't want to disclose are often less likely to disclose in the court process because their backs against the wall um, and and actually I'm sure um, Rachel in her capacity as a judge will undoubtedly know she's had people in front of her who have not told the truth even though they may have not told the truth on oath so I think an assumption that the truth will be held in court is incorrect um, but also those mm. sanctions that can be imposed orders and and costs orders don't always have the teeth that you might hope for example it's quite difficult to get the directions appointment to deal with the enforcement of the the disclosure that should have been provided and hasn't and you may wait weeks if mm. not months and spend a lot of money getting it absolutely and you may then have a costs order in your favor but in the context of the financial remedy proceedings, the paying party of that cost order will say, well, I can't afford that and it was all unfair. So we'll wrap it up into the negotiation mm -hmm. and I want to be relieved from that obligation. So mm -hmm. it's not actually this environment where sanctions and compulsion is provided at all. Um, and I think that's, again, another misconception. I agree with Claire completely that the ability of the mediator to explain why and to examine where are we going with this? What's the purpose? Actually, the very obscure bank statement might be hugely relevant and unlock an otherwise completely logjammed a negotiation or um, it may have been a complete fishing expedition for no apparent reason at all and in which case let's explain that and put that point to bed so I think it's important to dispel that myth as well that yes we, we talk about the court as being a, able to impose sanctions and make orders but actually that they, they don't always quite have the teeth that, that the public I think imagine that they do and I think it's really important to get that point across. The business about penal notices and if a narcissist for example doesn't disclose by a certain deadline so you can have a penal notice in theory that means that the judge can send them to jail if they don't comply with that penal notice i mean that doesn't happen does it well sir philip moore very famously did send somebody to prison or not to, to show that it can so it's happened once is it's what you're possible. saying <laughs> so it's it's possible but it's but it's but it's infrequent i think i think i mean in my career which spans 30 years i've never yet seen somebody on the wrong end of a penal notice application go to court ever I agree I'm the same I think to add to that that also if we talk about specific bank statements or credit card statements I think that's one issue about disclosure I think another issue especially with people with MPD is if you start talking about valuing their businesses or other um, assets like that they can be quite 
resistant to mm. people wanting to delve into their own little world of business. They just regard that as completely their inner sanctum, nothing to do with anybody else. Mm. Um, and and sometimes it is, you know, very, very difficult to get them to agree that sh somebody should be involved in valuing, let's say, a business or a shareholding. But again, I think a lot of it will come down to the skills of the mediators involved, because ultimately they have the ability to carry out a conversation to try and get people to understand why information is necessary and why people need it to make informed decisions about what an ultimate agreement might look like. And so I think it does depend on the type of disclosure being sought I mean, I've had situations where people want to see bank statements because they want to be able to show that their other half maybe bought. Uh, let, let's just pick an example. A soon to be ex-wife wants to show that soon to be ex-husband has bought jewellery for new partner. And that's just not going to be relevant to anything that's got to be looked at. And so it is understanding what, why are you asking for it? How will it help us? And can we get the person to provide it if it is going to move things forward? And I think that that is largely within the control of, of the mediator and you, them using all of the skills that they can possibly pull out of their tool bag to try and you know carry things forward and have that discussion about what needs to be provided and why. I just want to sort of just finish up really by saying that, you know, five years ago, there were a lot of the options that we have today weren't really around or if they were they were so new that people weren't comfortable with them or didn't know you know how effective they were um, and I think that today it's a much much better landscape certainly for out-of-court dispute resolution methods so I, I'm just so keen to encourage those people who are in a relationship or trying to get out of a relationship with a narcissist and they've got issues with the children or they've got issues with the finance I'm just so keen to try to keep those people out of court so hybrid mediation plus or minus arbitration is the way forward. I just want to emphasise that, not only to the spouses themselves, but to the lawyers, because the lawyers are the people that need to be putting this in front of their clients. Absolutely. And if the lawyers are a bit concerned about the process or haven't come across it before or, you know, and worried that they're going to have to write position statements or that, you know, that they just don't know what to expect. And so that's what's stopping them from... Uh, suggesting it then give us a ring drop us an email all of the hybrid mediators are more than happy to chat about the process to reassure people about the process and to give a bit of understanding about it because uh, as you say it is quite a new process don't let the lack of knowledge or, or the lack of confidence about it stop you from giving it a go or, or suggesting it absolutely we should probably just mention that uh, if anybody out there is looking, where do I go to find a hybrid mediator? The ones that have been through the resolution training programme can be found on the resolution website, which is www.resolution.org.uk, I believe. And where do people find you? What's your website? So www.familymediationandmentoring.co.uk or we have a free phone telephone number, which is 0800 206 2258. Fantastic. Rachel and Claire, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been so interesting. Lovely thank speaking you so much. With you. Thank you. Enjoyed it. Thank you. My brand new book, Narcissists in Divorce, From Love Locked to Leaving, is out now. For more information and online courses about narcissism, please do check out my websites thelifedoctor.org or drsapria.com.
www.thepodcastnetwork.com.